Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm joined by the phenomenal Alex Wong of Sportsnet, uh, the author of the soon-to-be bestseller, Prehistoric. Um, thanks so much for for taking the time and coming on, and uh, how are you? How's how's the book tour? How's U of T selling out a, you know, a packed, uh, you know, crowd? How's that been for you? Yeah, appreciate you having me on, first of all. Um, you know, I know we've been trying to make this happen for a long time, and, you know, I just like to create a mystique around me and uh <laughs> part of that is i guess just saying no to people no but um no it's been cool you know the book came out in um late october i guess it's been like two three weeks now almost a month and um just for anybody that's trying to get the book um i know right now it's sold out on amazon and indigo online which you know is good news for me but i know it's tough for some people who like pre-ordered um there's still copies in stores at indigo locations right now and working towards, obviously, with the publisher to kind of restock that at all places. We want to make sure this is a cool, I think, Christmas gift for people. But yeah, the reception's been been amazing. You know, just even doing kind of podcasts, um, you know, interviews like this, um, and just hearing from people one on one. It's been really cool hearing from like Raptors fans, both like younger and and older, kind of provide that feedback, um, and it really resonate with a lot of stories that that are in there, which has been like the the best part of this experience. And and how did you kind of come up with the idea of, of writing the book? Just tell us a little bit about kind of, I know, must I, I know you've talked about how much of a process it was for you. Uh, not, not an easy thing to kind of put together, but just kind of take us behind the scenes a little bit about it. Yeah, for sure. You know, this is a, this is a project that actually had come to my mind after the Raptors won the championship in 2019. And, you know, I just, you know, there's, there was actually some demand at the time. Um, you know, I work with an agent and, you know, publishers had wanted a book about the the championship season. Uh, but the problem was like a lot of times how these like, um, I guess, like how the book market works is like these publishers will want something because it's being talked about at the moment. Like the Raptors are really hot coming off the championship, but they want to like really capitalize on that. So then like they'll tell you that they want the book in like uh, six months time. <laughs> um, and it was like kind of difficult for me. Because like I've always uh, with my work uh, specifically, like I've always uh, really valued kind of the reporting and the interviewing aspect of mm -hmm. things um, instead of just like putting something together that'd be quick. Um, so I kind of pass on some of those opportunities. Um, there still hasn't been, I guess, like a definitive book about the championship uh, uh, to come to market. I actually tried to pitch Messiah this uh, on media day when we we're talking kind of just like off to the side, but he yeah. told me there's no money in books. Um, so I will revisit <laughs> that next time I see him. Um, he's he's not wrong. Um, but um, <laughs> so that kind of happens. And then kind of a Raptors book actually goes to market. And that's uh, Doug Smith's uh, yeah. We the North. And Doug's talked about this, um, you know, publicly. Like I actually helped him uh, work on that project. So like I, you know, I had a lot of visibility into what that project was was about. And, you know, Doug decided to really cover kind of the 25 years at the time of, of the franchise. Um, so the idea that I had in my head in terms of diving into the early years, telling the origin story was was still there. Like it still mm -hmm. wasn't told. So after Doug's book comes out, that's when I kind of finally pitched my idea. And, you know, this is something that I've always wanted to do for a long time. Like even before the championship, like I always just felt like um, a lot of people's kind of history and like uh, memories of the Raptors really starts with Vince Carter. And I think a lot of times when people talk in the U.S. as well, like their memories of the Raptors or how they choose to remember mm -hmm. the franchise starts with the arrival of Vince Carter. And it's like, 
yeah, there were a lot of kind of, you know, winning, winning days, um, you know, a lot of great times in those early years of the Raptors. But, you know, that wasn't that was never kind of the the story that interested me. It was about really telling the story of like pro basketball coming back to Canada and like the modern day age, like the Toronto Huskies was here for like one year. Yeah. I think yeah. In like in like 46. So it's like, um, you know, what was that like? And like, what was it like to just build an expansion franchise from, from the ground up? You know, I feel like a lot of teams like the Celtics, the Lakers, the Knicks, like, you know, their history, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Showtime Lakers, like, you know, the Celtics from like the sixties, from the seventies, like, you know, Bill Russell, you know, Will Chamberlain, you know, Kareem. And, you know, certainly the Raptors aren't of the same stature as a franchise, but it's like very few people I feel like that follow the Raptors or especially the younger fans, like know the history of mm-hmm. like the team, except for like a few couple things. So like all of those things were kind of motivations for me to uh, work on this project. Well, what where did like the uh, like it's I, reading the book, what I found so fascinating is just how the ownership process came to be. Uh, with John Bitove and and then him leaving uh, like abruptly just because of a clause and a contract. But just with when you were doing the research, what did, were you learning new things about kind of the history of it and and obviously the players? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know that was one of the things for me is like diving into any project. It's like you have a baseline knowledge of these things, uh, but like a lot of the a lot of the stuff I learned um, in the very beginning just through research. You know, I actually studied like the Toronto Star, like sports section archive, um, spent a few months on that just to like pull newspaper clips, pull quotes, pull names of people that I really wanted to talk to. Um, and 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 then kind of diving in and starting to interview people. And like as I was interviewing people, like I started learning about so many things. Like I learned about the first uh, season ticket drive that ended up mm-hmm. being in the uh, one of the early chapters. Like one of the things I, I ever only knew was that like Shoppers Drug Mart have been a partner with the Raptors and they have bought up a bunch of tickets. Cause I remember growing up, you could go to shoppers and like buy Raptors tickets. Um, but what I didn't realize was like this, like ragtag group of guys, like group of guys and girls who were like in their early twenties getting hired away from their jobs to basically like cold call people around the city to try to sell tickets. And most of them ended up having careers, which they, a lot of them still have today uh, working in sports, uh, which is kind of wild to me um and so like little tidbits like that it would always start with like a single question it's like oh like what was the season ticket drive like and then like finding out like stories of like five people or like mm-hmm. um you know opening night it's like you always see the clips like the bare naked ladies like singing the anthem <laughs> or the raptor coming out of the dinosaur egg but it's like you actually talk to a member of the bare naked ladies you actually talk to the raptor and you actually talk to the game ops person who like prints out the game day script and like organizes the whole game and you start finding out a lot of these details um that you didn't know before so like definitely like during this whole process like there was so much that that i was able to learn just from like research and talking to all these people how how easy or difficult was it to to connect with all those people that you wanted to i think you had 12 of 19 players from the 95 96 team um like obviously you've been covering this team for so long you have connections uh and and maybe you can also talk about on the phone or on zoom with the uh, sam jackson samuel L. jackson for a little bit for the story yeah for sure you know um ended up interviewing around 140 people i think um for the for the story uh for the book and like um you know that was one of the advantages i had like it wasn't actually as difficult um as like other projects that i've worked on in that like I had a really good relationship with John Bitov Jr. So like anytime I wanted to reach out to to John and like have him introduce me to like 
uh, people who worked in the front office, people who worked in different departments at the time, like he was super helpful. Like he helped me connect with even just like random people around the city. Like, you know, he told me that Paul Beeston was a huge mentor to him because like Beeston was like mm-hmm. with the Blue Jays at the time. So like he connected with me, Paul Beeston and like I was able to chat with him. And, you know, the person that really was super helpful with this was like uh, Elaine Kwan, who's in the book as like a member of the community relations department. Like she started out with a franchise, like working on the season tickets. Um, and like she actually still keeps in touch with a lot of the players, a lot of the front office. She organizes reunions for them. Like, um, you know, I, I was gracious enough to be invited this summer to a reunion that they had where some of the players, including like Tracy Murray, AC Earl, even Marcus Camby from the second year, they all came to real sports. John Bitov was there. Isaiah Thomas wow. was there. Um, so like Elaine was just a super help. It's like when I had trouble, you know, one of the people I had problem um kind of getting a hold of was, was Damon Stoudemire because he was coaching the Boston Celtics at the time, like as an assistant mm-hmm. uh, when I was working on my book. So like in season, it was impossible to track him down. But Elaine helped me coordinate just like doing a weekly Zoom with Damon like last summer. So we wow. were able to have like six, seven, eight conversations, like, you know, have a conversation every week. And he was able to fill out a lot of the a lot of the book for me. And obviously he was gracious enough to 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 do the forward as well um and the samuel jackson interview came out of the uh came out of the elaine connection as well because like elaine and sam actually have kept in touch um you know you've read the book like for people who read the book they'll they'll know a little bit about that connection there uh but like yeah she was able to reach out to sam and and you know sam was able to to kind of make some time to chat and it was funny too like you know um you talk about the uft book launch which i had which was which was incredible like um elaine was actually trying to see if sam was w- would fly wow. in and like be a guest so like wow. we were charging like what we were charging like ten dollars a ticket for that evening like imagine if you pay 10 bucks and then like samuel jackson just showed up i mean they gave me personal security that night because <laughs> i guess like we had like a book signing line like i mean i think if samuel jackson came they'd have to like really ramp up the security because uh, people feel like people would just like lose their minds yeah you'd be his security guard um yeah, <laughs> yeah that's probably what would actually happen <laughs> um and i know drake's people uh reached out to you like do they do they sign off on the email being like ovo forever like wh- what <laughs> what was that like wait how'd you find out about this <laughs> what, I, what listened, did I reveal this <laughs> i listened to the banter pod i think that's oh how... yeah yeah okay okay that's where i reveal all my secrets no it's, it's actually it's funny because it's just like through a friend um uh i was able to a friend told me a friend who talked to drake and his representatives like um they actually had expressed interest in in checking out the book um so i was told like kind of secondhand um and then i was told hey would you be down to like sign a few copies you can drop it off to us and we'll drop it off to him and i was like Mm -hmm. yes definitely so it's kind of funny because like i think the same day we were just like, I don't know, we were making fun of Drake, but sometimes we like, we'll make a joke on air about him being a global ambassador and stuff. And I feel like we did crack one of those jokes the same day that I found out. So since then, I've been a huge supporter of the boy. Um, I haven't said anything <laughs> bad about him on air, but he's got he's got six weeks left to to post my book on his IG. Uh, story. Yeah, uh, just I can... have it in the back. Just have it in the background, my brother. That's all I ask. Yeah, I think I think maybe you'd be even more out of stock uh, if if Drake put it on his IG and yeah, stuff. please, like, please, Drake. Like my future is like literally in your hands right now. You just need to grab that book, <laughs> like wherever it is, you know, in the gym and, and on your coffee table. Like just please, please, just 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 include it in the background of a story. Like you you could change my life. You can be like one of the other rapper, like many rappers that have been helped by by uh, Drake's fame and success. You know, <laughs> you future and you know, 
Alex. Yeah, this is this is all I want, man. Please, yeah. please, it's Drake. I'm, be I'm begging you. It's the future, but we're going prehistoric, baby. So, uh, <laughs> um, talk a little bit about like deciding on a, a name of a book because I know that wasn't really. I think it took a while for you to to come up with one, and and obviously you put so much work into it. How did that come about? Because I really, really like the the name of uh, the. Yeah, no, I, I fell in love with the name, but yeah, the process took. You know, you start working on the book, you don't really think about the name because, like, you don't really have to think about it, I guess, at the very beginning because it's like a, you know, multi-year process to to put together the book. And, you know, you, you want to come up with it, you know, early on. Um, so then you can start laying the groundwork of, like, doing the cover art, um, which, you know, shouts to Drake Seal for that. But, like, um, yeah, I struggled. You know, I've always struggled. Like, you know, I don't know if it's like this for you. It's like, you know, when I write a lot of stories, when I work with places and stuff, um, editors will always be like, oh, do you have any suggestions for like a headline and stuff like that? And I'm always like, no, absolutely not. Like, I, I just I just write the stories like like you yeah. guys decide. But obviously for a book, you got to take a little ownership of that, because like I've seen a lot of just like bad headlines that come out on my stories. And I'm like, damn, like maybe I should have chimed in. But like, yeah, it was tough. Like I, I wanted something that was catchy. You know, the last time, you know, the last book that I published was about kind of the um, the mm -hmm. history of like basketball and magazines um so like cover story was like something that like came right to me i was like oh this is cool this is perfect um whereas this time it was like man i was really struggling and like i've been trying to find the google doc where i like brainstorm the names it might have just been on a notes app that i can't find anymore but it's like as i was writing like i was like oh i, I needed something that would reference like i don't know like dinosaurs or like you know the the kind of that yeah. era something like that and then so mm -hmm. like um i think i've told this but it's like i think jurassic start was one of them like even saying yeah. that makes me even saying that makes me cringe like that was terrible that was actually cribbed off um i did a vice story a long time ago this was when the bench mob was happening yep. with like fred pascal and cj and mm -hmm. like they actually gave me a cool headline it was jurassic spark uh -huh. um so like i kind of ripped that and was like oh how can i do it but then like I pictured myself promoting my book or like tell or people saying the title of my book. And I was like, oh, my God, Jurassic Start. Like if I if I got to hear that, like, you know, right away, that's the thing with like titles. Like I don't have a kid, but I feel like it's like it's like a baby's Maybe. name. It's like when you hear it, like, you know, right away if it's good or bad. So like I'm still trying to think of the other names that I came up with. Like, I think they were so bad that maybe I didn't even write them down. But like. Huh. I was going through an article then as, as I was mentioning, I was doing that research and then like um, there was a newspaper uh, article about the Raptors. They were describing the team's logo, uh, a name, and they're like, oh, dinosaurs have been famous since like the prehistoric era. Or something. Uh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, prehistoric is perfect. Like obviously the the dinosaur age reference, but also you know, obviously the whole idea of them, the franchise being in that kind of beginning, that prehistoric mm -hmm. uh, age. So like once I landed on that, I was like, oh, damn, this is perfect. Um, okay. and, and everything just kind of lined up from there. Yeah. Well, what were like, because obviously you lived through that that team. What do you remember about the team in 95, 96? Yeah. You know, I, I remember like going um, with my parents to like, the Sears department store because that's when they put out the merch and like um I remember like we could only afford I guess my mom only bought us like one t-shirt at the time so like I think I shared it with my sister or maybe uh -huh. she was the one that got to own it because like I've gone back and seen photos of me wearing a Raptors tee but then her as well 
And I'm, I don't think we own two of those, but like, I remember the merch, you know, I remember that like, you know, it wasn't cool to wear the Raptors uh, logo, like jackets, t-shirts and that at school. Like I remember turning on the games and like watching it on like CTV, like the new VR, which is like a very local station at the time. So like, I remember wearing, uh, like watching games here and there. Um, so like, I mean, I was 11 at the time, so it wasn't like, I don't think I was following the team like religiously um mm -hmm. i remember reading the newspaper a lot because like that's just something that like i i love to do back in the day um kind of just opening up the sports section because we subscribe to the paper so like doing that and like reading about the team like studying the box scores and stuff uh following a little bit of like damon stoudemire as he won like rookie of the year um so it was very like i guess it was very kind of like surface level in terms of just mm -hmm. like knowing the team existed following the team because i like basketball um, but at that time, I was still a bigger fan of, like, following what Jordan and the Bulls were doing. Like, I was okay. a huge fan of, like, Shaq and Penny and the Magic. So, like, the Raptors were, like, on the map. But it wasn't until, I would say, like, later on in my life, as I grew older and, like, as the Raptors grew more popular, that, like, they became a way bigger part of my life. Yeah. And and with that, like, I know you have an interesting career path um, to where you are today. Uh, you were at Ernst & Young, I believe, and a CPA and all that. Just... Tell us about a little bit your your pat career path to where you are today. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like I went to school, I think like a lot of kids, like I just didn't um didn't really think too deeply or critically about like what I wanted to do. Like I just I guess I was just raised in an environment to think about like, oh, what's the easiest path to to have a stable income when you come out of school? So like for me, like naturally all my friends all gravitated towards just like business, whether it was getting into finance, accounting, you know, marketing, maybe become a lawyer, things like that. So that was just the path that I chose. So like I went to school, got my BBA and then studied to get my CPA uh, license, you know, was able to land at one of those, um, you know, big four accounting firms. And then kind of worked in that industry for like a, around a decade um, until I kind of just like I was growing, like just increasingly more miserable. Like I was never really mm. motivated at my job. Um, you know, it was just like kind of a means to an end type, you know, you're, you're just making money, taking care of yourself, but like a huge part of like, I, I guess, whatever you want to call it, like the creative part of me or whatever, just like wasn't being fulfilled. So, you know, I finally was like actually pushed to make my decision when I was like moved around a few jobs in that industry. And I was, um, I was laid off on my last job. Cause like, um, my, there was a merger, my role was eliminated, Wow. And like I, I might have never like even made the move to transition to this industry if like that didn't happen to me. So that was kind of the push that I needed. And I actually moved to New York for four years. And that's when I started on my freelance career. And then I ended up coming back here in like 2016. And obviously, like back in Toronto now, like the focus has been on like Raptors coverage um, mm -hmm. you know, up to what I'm doing today. So that's kind of like the, the, the short story version of like how I was able to kind of move from that career to to what I'm doing today. What do you love about writing and, and maybe what's a little bit of your process? I know you really like like feature stories, kind of culture stories. I think about the the one on Jeremy Lin um, mm -hmm. from when they, they won the championship in 2019. Just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of kind of feature writing and stuff is just generated off like what your self-interests are. And, you know, I've always, you know, basketball was kind of the entryway I look at it for me in terms of getting into writing and certainly like I know people associate me with you know basketball and obviously the Raptors and like even the books that I've written like you know with cover story and prehistoric are very like basketball focused but 
you know, process wise, it's always kind of, you know, the, the hardest part I always tell, um, you know, people who reach out about writing is like just the idea generation part of it. Mm. Right. Cause like, it's, it's very difficult to, um, especially as a freelancer, which I've worked as for most of my career to convince editors to let you write a story. Um, you know, cause like you have to pitch yourself, basically you have to pitch yourself and pitch the idea. So like, you know, when I used to write a lot more, like it was just, I would always be jotting ideas down. Like I was reading mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I was thinking a lot just of like ideas I've always wanted to do. And like, I would like go for walks and like come up with a random idea. Like, Oh, thought of this wrestler that I want to write about, or, Oh, yeah. I'm noticing a trend. Like I remember you know, this is like national post feature um, on just like people playing solitaire and why there's like, oh. there's so many people that are still playing solitaire after all these years. And it was, Literally, because like I, I think I flew, I forgot where I flew to, but on a flight, like the person in front of me was like a the older person, and like she was playing solitaire on like the whole flight. And then the next day, I went on the subway and I saw this like younger person playing solitaire, huh. and I found it so interesting in a world of like just you know uh, availability of like apps. You could do anything. You could turn on your iPod, listen. Not not iPod. You could turn on your oh, phone and like yeah. listen listen to any podcast like you have access to everything, but there's still a subset of people who are still playing this like very basic game that I remember from yeah. like my, my, my PC computer. So like I ended up just like reaching out to people and like uh, crowdsourcing and finding like four or five people who like talk to me about their obsession with solitaire. Um, yeah. Some of it was to calm them down. Another person realized that like uh, one of my friends, like actually got into like a car accident and then like had to stay home and couldn't do anything. Cause he was like, had some symptoms, I think like concussion symptoms. So like he just brought out a deck of cards and started playing solitaire, like with real cards. Huh. So like somehow that ended up being a story. So like, it's just the curiosity of things. Mm -hmm. um, it's the curiosity of things. And it's, it's um, a desire to tell the stories of people. Yeah. Um, like this is what I've told people about prehistoric and, and even cover story. And in these books, it's like, yes, the premise is about the origin story of the Raptors, but it's really just about the people who came together and like built the Raptors from the ground up. Like the Raptors are just a canvas for telling the stories that I, that I want to tell. So like with feature stories, with book pitches, the focus is always on satisfying my own curiosities and trusting that those curiosities will um you know satisfy the curiosities of the readers mm -hmm. um but also it's kind of like focusing on telling stories of, of other people because like i just did a toronto star feature last week um on my friend andre who's um you know runs a local comic book store in richmond hill and that story came about because um you know iman Vellani, who stars in the new uh, marvels movie she plays miss marvel um grew up um and went to the same high school as me um hmm. in, oh, in yeah, and she visited the same comic book store. Like we were obviously like I think ten years apart, yeah, twenty years apart, whatever it is. But like she had written an essay earlier this year online talking about the importance of like having a local comic book store owner who's like welcoming you into the space. And she mm -hmm. named um Andre by name. And I hadn't been to that comic book store in like 15, 20 years when I read that essay. And I was like, damn, like that's Andre. Like she's talking about probably talking about the same Andre that I know. Yeah. So I went in the store, I looked up the store, found out they were still open, um, talked to Andre, um, like reconnected with him, and wow. then decided to just pitch this story. And I found out that like Iman had like kept in touch, like shouts out the store, which is called Heroes World. And when Iman wrote a Miss Marvel comic this year, like she 
drew she had andre in the comic book as wow. the owner of heroes world like pitching a comic so like it was this crazy story and i was like man i gotta tell this story so i like pitched it to the star and then like you know they they put it on the cover of their culture section like last thursday so it's like you know for better or worse like my brain is always just like wired to think about like not like how to turn everyone into content but it's like what are the stories that i want to tell and what are the stories that people are like interested in and and with that because obviously you you know a lot of people know you for the raptors show and and you and will Lou, like you guys are really funny together is that something that was just natural like do you find yourself like a quasi comedian of sorts like would you <laughs> describe yourself as that you know i've always told i've always disrespected my stand up comedian friends um <laughs> you know my friend like Enes Esmer who's you know has done a lot of stand up comedy still does uh you know Tom Henry uh James Harden and a lot of these guys like i'm always like man i could do what you do um but like i say it half jokingly because like having watched a lot of stand-up been around some of these people like obviously this is a whole craft like i've always explained that it's funny it's easier to be funny in conversation than mm-hmm. it is when you're like stepping on stage obviously um having said that yes i do consider myself a quasi um comedian no i think okay you know i think i think so much of it is just comes from you know i've obviously built a very good chemistry with will um like we're close with each other like off air um and like when you're able to have that kind of friendship um the 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 comedy kind of just lends itself because like everybody has their own kind of group um you know friend group whether it's a group chat or individual friends like a comedy is just born out of you know making fun of each other or like feeling comfortable and it's like you know you don't get that with everybody like you could mm-hmm. be paired with someone to do a show where you don't really know that person that well and, that, and it doesn't necessarily mean that show could be good or bad like it could be either way but it's like if you don't know someone that well you don't know their tendencies you don't know how they live their life like you're not able to kind of make those jokes because like yeah people might be sensitive or you just don't know them well enough to even have any of these jokes so like you know so much of what we do is just born out of that but also born out of just you know, I think bringing uh, maybe kind of like a breath of fresh air to like how people talk about sports or how people cover basketball. And I think the way we work well, because like, you know, Will kind of quote unquote kind of just takes it more seriously. Yeah. Um, and I think and I think Will thinks more kind of critically about the game from like an X's and O's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like I'm more interested in kind of like just kind of big picture. um you know personality driven stuff like you mentioned like kind of the funny stuff that happens um and things of that nature and like i think that 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 kind of creates that chemistry um because we're both looking at it from um kind of a different perspective so um yeah i guess to answer your question it's like i don't think you know the worst thing you can do is to kind of go out of your way when you're on a public platform whether you're on youtube tv or doing a podcast go out of your way to be something that like you're not and mm-hmm. like i've always you know had that sense of humor um and it's not something that i ever feel like i'm forcing like it's just how i am in conversation um mm-hmm. sure like we probably punch it up a little bit like you know when, <laughs> when the cameras are on and stuff like that but it's like it never feels it always feels natural like kind of where we're coming from yeah and then how do how has it been with with blake in the fold the uh this year and, and you guys just sprouting knee how all of it all, all the time to... yeah no but but you know i think i think like you know our show 
kind of format just kind of lends itself to to kind of those moments where we're able to have fun and stuff and like you know Blake's obviously um a tre treasure trove of knowledge and in terms of like how he approaches the game too I think he comes at it from like a different perspective so like being able to kind of mesh that together um and you know having the two-hour format I think it's been great in terms of just like you know we've been able to kind of get more guests on um you know the Dennis Schroeder like weekly appearances yeah. and stuff like that so awesome. like um yeah I think I think we're just kind of building on what, what we've done like the past couple of years what I always remark about you guys is also how you talk about your culture and, you know, be, you know, being Chinese um, kind of, you know, and, and coming to Canada and first, second generation. But just for you, Alex, like what were the challenges coming up in, you know, in Canada itself, but also in the sports media landscape as an Asian person? And, and, and just maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I think I think just like immigrating here when I was like eight years old, I, you know, I still remember going to like. Um, school for the first time like first day it was like grade three and you know I remember like my dad had I guess like put in my like Chinese name instead of the English name Alex that I chose so then like um, I remember just like kids like kids would like chuckle when like you know they were taking mm -hmm. attendance at the start of the class because like you know my name wasn't like an English name um, and stuff like that just like kind of language barrier and stuff um, but you know um, I think like socially and stuff, like I was able to kind of quickly adapt, you know, you go to ESL, you learn the language, you find common interests with people like, you know, through hip hop, through basketball, um, just through a lot of that stuff as kids, um, you know, so so that part was like, okay, and like growing up in Markham as well, like, I think I read in an article a couple of years ago, that's like the third highest, like, uh, population of Asians um, amongst like North American cities. Really? Okay. So like strangely, it's like you know I'd be in classes where it was like seventy percent Chinese. So oh it's my. like strangely, it wasn't like I um you know like I mean you feel like a minority at the times, yeah. but it's like you know a lot of times I didn't. Um, and it wasn't until to be honest, like I I like entered you know the workplace like out of my job where I realized that like oh like people do get treated differently based on how they look and it's not just performance based like two people could have the same uh, performance but they're you know being looked at differently and I think you know there's been a lot of challenges in like the sports media industry like Will and I try to talk about it as much as we can and like we've done um, kind of these panels um, you know we did one at U of T recently just you know sharing some of our challenges about you know being in the sports media space as like two Chinese guys um and but you know a lot of those a lot more of those conversations take place kind of privately within like you know the people that we know in our inner circle and stuff mm -hmm. and also like changes that we want to like impress on a lot of times i think you know it's 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 so it's easy to just be like the loudest voice publicly and stuff um and certainly i you know i went through a phase of that too where it's just like i was very angry I used to call out a lot of stuff but now I find more power in having those conversations privately to figure out how we can actually affect those changes. So whether it's talking to like, you know, organizations, outlets, um, you know, sports teams that we cover and work with, um, you know, to give them a heads up on stuff um, or whether it's like younger writers reaching out, um, you know, people of color, minorities and sharing our experiences with them and hopefully connecting them with the right people. Um, you know, I think a lot of those um, a lot of those conversations are sometimes more impactful um, then, then, you know, like calling somebody out publicly, you know, certainly yeah. I'm not, um, I'm not above that. So like, you know, be careful. I am still a firecracker. <laughs> Messiah. But, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Messiah, man. Right. This let's, let's work on this book together, but it's yeah. like, 
um yeah like there's the challenges still all exist you know the challenges still all exist in terms of just being welcomed into certain spaces um you know being looked at um you know in the same way as others um you know all i've ever asked i guess in my career in my life is to be like judged the same way as everybody else mm -hmm. and i don't think i don't think we're afforded that a lot of times so it's yeah. like um you know but but thankfully it's like you know you know with the careers that like you know, I've been able to build out Will and so many other people. It's like, I feel like we're in a position now to to kind of speak on these things and be able to kind of, you know, affect change and point out blind spots to people. How much do you think the impact will be of you guys having the first nationally uh, syndicated, I guess, you, radio now it's TV, it's on TV as well with the Raptors show and just seeing two Chinese um, guys on the TV all the time like how much impact do you think will that will have for like the next generation of, of people of color from any backgrounds yeah for sure man you know I feel the impact already based on just like people that I'll run into in the city people run into at events um you know that will and I organize or like the book events at U of T um you know I remember yesterday I was at the I was at the Muslim women's basketball you know yeah. league all-star game at MLSC Launchpad, and then I was walking home after and I just ran into a listener that I never seen before who like recognized me. And she was just like, man, and she, and she was Chinese. And she was like, man, I love what you guys are doing. Like, keep doing that. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be um, anything deeper than that. You know, certainly mm -hmm. we've had one-on-one -on -one interactions where people are like, yeah, I want to pick your brain. Um, want to learn more about the industry, you know, seeing what you guys are doing really kind of changes it. And it's like, sometimes I like to expand beyond the scope of just like, you know what it does for like our community in terms of like the Chinese community I think I think the show has been the pride of like just kind of the immigrant community mm -hmm. here in Toronto you know people you know really enjoy when we share some of our experiences kind of growing up or our favorite places in Toronto or like the relationships that we have with our parents because like a lot of that stuff is universal and sometimes not just um you know applicable to like our culture so like um it's been super cool so i think i think whatever that impact that we can leave is great you know i've always you know wanted to leave an open door for people that want to reach out who want to get in this industry and it's been great to meet a lot of those people and some of whom like i've watched um you know go on now to like you know work at like full-time positions and like the sports media industry and stuff so it's always just kind of leaving that door open and hoping that you can kind of leave an impact because like you know there's honestly like what's the point of doing this um, you know, aside from making a lot of money, um, and you know, selling out to the concept of capitalism, exactly. Um, you know, yeah. that that's number one for me. But number two is, um, number two is, uh, you know, kind of leaving those like personal kind of imprints on people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, first make money and then help people. I think you know, yeah, that's mm -hmm. exactly it. That's first comes the money, then the power, then the respect. Man, shout out to the locks. <laughs> um i wanted to ask uh, a little bit about basketball i know you don't watch a lot um alex but uh <laughs> wow, wow you don't even air me out like this what no no uh just what have you made of of uh just the raptors start to the season um obviously you know just do you just watch like scotty barnes clips is that is that how you watch the raptors i don't know alex but uh no comment um from from <laughs> From what I've gathered on uh, just clips on Twitter, um, you know, I think I think everything about the Raptors this season has has felt um, it's just felt like kind of a breath of fresh air. I think, you know, some of that is attributed to some of the roster changes and obviously bringing in a new coach and like turning turning a new leaf. But I think, you know, I think Darko early on has done a really good job in terms of just like kind of galvanizing and bringing the team together. And it seemed mm -hmm. like 
you know, coming off last season, you know, whenever you hire a new coach, you just want to, you want them to have the qualities that maybe you felt like was missing from the previous coach. And, and, you know, I think, you know, Nick was a, Nick was a great coach, you know, championship coach There's a lot, you know, a lot of, not a lot of people have his resume uh, first five years as an NBA head coach, but it just felt like towards the end, maybe there was a disconnect with the players. Uh, maybe he wasn't the right coach to usher in kind of a rebuild slash retool and connect with some of the younger players like Scotty and other guys on the team. So it seemed like Darko was brought in with those objectives. And it seems like, especially very early on, um, and again, we're judging by like open gym clips and like what we're seeing, but it's like, I think you're seeing it on the court too. You know, you're seeing the way that they come together after victories. Um, and I kind of look at their losses too, like what they've lost twice to Philadelphia, once to Boston. Um, like those are not like terrible losses. Those are probably two of no. the best teams in the, in the whole NBA right now. Definitely the top two teams in the East. Um, you're not really going to beat them. To be honest, like, you know, Raptors is just not on that level. But then you look at the way they competed against Dallas. They competed against San Antonio. Nice win over Milwaukee. Although I'm kind of downgrading that because I don't think Milwaukee yeah, is that good. Um, But like, like, I think you're seeing this team kind of come together. And they're obviously still figuring some stuff out on the court. You know, Scotty's been incredible. You know, I think Dennis not being talked about enough. Um, You know, I think Dennis has been incredible. You know, Pascal's been figuring out outside of his breakout game against Dallas. You still see the flaws with the teams, like you know, see them when they got blown out against Boston on the weekend. You know, if if they if they don't make threes, like they can't win. They can't keep up with some of this these teams with the offensive firepower, like like the Celtics. So like the offense is still a slog at times, but I, I think you know the optimism for me comes from knowing that the Raptors. It feels like they're building towards something this year, and it never felt mm-hmm. like that last season. Is it is it just purely the Raptors show bump with uh, Dennis Schroeder? Is that is that the key to you know their early season? Yeah, vibes? you know I said this last I said this last week on the show is like you know I think you know I I want to extend an open invite to every Raptors player, um to make a weekly appearance you know on on the show you know I think, um you know aside from from getting the bump on the court like you know, I, I think it really does you know, players who come on our show, especially Dennis, like making this commitment to come on weekly, like it's, um, it really does open them up in terms of like getting the fan base to really know them. Yeah. Um, Cause Dennis is not only providing us with great, like behind the scenes insight, but it's also like, yeah, like we get to see his personality and then what that's all about. And I think a lot of players are striving for that today um, in this kind of social media age um so yeah auto porter let's do it you know garrett temple let's do let's, it Masai, um let's do it yeah Masai, let's do it there's not a lot of money to be made from being on the raptor show but let's do it anyways you know Masai, stop being such a capitalist okay <laughs> yeah he yeah exactly um but but with that like do you do you like how did that come about because i know i actually had will on last week and he talked a little bit about how he he got dennis on the show kind of via uh being in vegas with the team uh during summer league but i i know you're a producer of the show um just how what's the behind the scenes about it i know you talked a little bit about getting dennis on i think on the banter podcast but just tell us a little bit about that yeah 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 damn yeah will on last week man i got i'm second asian again um so like um (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I can't, you know, to be honest, I'll share some behind the scenes, but I can't take any credit for it. You know, obviously that was a Dennis, Dennis had kind of approached, you know, Will and Dennis had talked, um, did an interview in Summer League. And I think Will had talked a little bit to Dennis about just like the podcast that we do, the show that we do. And it seemed like he had an interest. Obviously, he's a content creator, um, got his own YouTube channel and everything. 
so then they had actually reached out to Sportsnet and like, you know, the, the two of them, the two of those parties had a conversation to kind of figure out the logistics of it. Um, but like, yeah, as a producer behind the scenes, you know, I work with uh, Dennis's representatives each week. Um, you know, we figure out a time we, you know, uh, provide them with the topics beforehand um, and, and just kind of I just kind of manage the um, the kind of. Uh, weekly kind of scheduling of it and you know with athletes too like i've joked about this to like dennis's reps like they're the hardest people to like track down like last week you know they were coming <laughs> off the win in san antonio they're practicing in dallas and the night before i was like he was supposed to come on on the tuesday and the night before i was like reminding his reps i was like hey listen man he's in a different time zone so like even though he says he's coming on like please let him know that it's uh you know 2 30 eastern or 3 30 eastern whatever it is yeah, and like and of course on the day of like we're messaging on the, on the show and they're like oh damn i think dennis turned his phone off because he forgot <laughs> he like got the time zones mixed up so i was like damn it um but it's like you know you work around that stuff um and like you know they've, they've been great to work with you know dennis has has obviously been been great like he like hopped on on the team bus um <laughs> you know last week and joined us so yeah it's it's, it's, it's been super fun yeah well, what, what, what's, what goes behind the scenes, not just with athletes, but like as a producer, like how do you navigate getting guests? Like how much like forward thinking is it? Like, are you Alex right now being like, oh, I know my December 15th to 20th week. I have Howard Beck, Windhorse, Zach. I'm just making people up, but um, just how does that like, what's that process like for you, Alex? Yeah. Chill. December, man. I didn't even thought about that yet, but like, um. <laughs> No, I usually think about two weeks ahead. Um, okay. So, like, we're speaking on a Monday right now. I already have the entire week basically tentatively mapped out and planned out, reached out to all the guests, know exactly what we're going to do. Spoiler alert. Uh, damn. Actually, uh, when's this coming out? Uh, tomorrow. Okay. Um, we might have a monster guest on Thursday, but. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. He has, a, he, has a, he has a bald dome and he runs the league. Um, so. <laughs> I don't know so, who that is. Yeah, so um, Michael Jordan, <laughs> he runs the entire league. Um, so like um, so yeah, I usually plan out about two weeks, two weeks in advance. Um, and and like there are people behind the scenes that support me as well. Like it's not something that I do just myself. So like you know, part of my job each day is to think about how we want to approach the show. Um, so like in terms of carving out the show into the four different segments. Um, so we have a rundown that we are, you know, Will, Blake, um, you know, people behind the scenes were all in and I usually prep that and they'll know the night before what the show's looking like. Um, now I leave a lot of room for, for Will and Blake to kind of do what they want, but it's like, if you want to think about today, so we're coming off the Celtics game on the Saturday segment one, we're doing Raptor Celtics. We're going to do a recap. I'll pop in a bunch of topics that I want to tackle from the game. Well, mm -hmm. Blake will put in their notes or think about where they want to go. I'll try to do like some like kind of weird stuff. Like, you know, I was thinking like, oh, I was thinking watching the game. I was like, have the Celtics always had like at least one white guy come off the bench for them in their career? So I was on basketball reference last <laughs> night, going back 20 years, tracking, um, you know, <laughs> you know, the bench. So I did find out they've always had a white dude, at least for like Indiana. So yeah. I'll be sharing that research today on the show. So it's like kind of just thinking about like, how the show will run, but also like um, putting in some of that creativity yeah. or like, you know, putting in like different tangents and stuff. Cause I know Will and Blake are always going to talk about the game. Um, but it's like, Oh, what else can we talk about? What else can we throw in there? It's like, I think I was obsessed with like Furkan Korkmaz like last week or something. <laughs> like that. So we started, yeah. So we oh, no. started doing, so we doing, started just like doing a lot of Furkan stuff. 
So like, yeah, it's like each day is like creating those segments. Like segment two, like Action Bronson was on Pablo Torre's pod and like you read mm-hmm. out one of Will's tweets. So I prepped a whole segment about that. Like I spent all yesterday revisiting my favorite Action Bronson songs, you know, writing down <laughs> some lyrics. So it's like, you know, you try to make it fun too, right? And then yeah. we have James Herbert coming on in the second mm-hmm. hour from CBS Sports. And like, because the Raptors yeah. are playing the Wizards tonight, we're going to draft all time like bonehead Wizards moments. So it's like <laughs> these ideas get like, um, generated and thought about like maybe like a week like two weeks in advance because wow. you look at the schedule and you're like okay they're playing the wizards today we need to line that up and then it's like different components it's like each week we know that you know the raptors have a busy week this week they play monday wednesday friday mm-hmm. so we know that on tuesday we're going to recap a game on thursday we're going to recap a game and then we know that at some point we got to slot dennis in and then I have people behind the scenes that help me book, um, track down a lot of these like national writers. Yeah. So like, you know, you talk about the Howard Becks, um, you know, Dan Devine's joining us this week. Cool. Um, like, like we, so then we, it's just basically like different components and mm-hmm. then, and then, you know, Blake will want to cover the 905. So then we'll have some <laughs> 905 stuff that's happening. Um, so it's like thinking each day, like how it's going to line up. So like right now, you know, I'm already thinking about like next week. So like mm-hmm. what next week's schedule, like who they're playing. Who should we bring in? Like, I'll probably have like Joseph Cacharo and Joe Wolfon from the score because they join us like once a month. So it's like, oh, let's get that worked in. Um, so it's it's thinking about like making sure we have a good composition of guests, um, mm-hmm. both from a quality standpoint. Um, you know, we're always striving to 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 you know have men, women, people of color, like a different mix yeah. um as well. So it's like, yeah, so it's like a lot of day-to-day planning in terms of like uh, taking the creative lead on the show. Um, and then a lot of it is um, a lot of it is just thinking like a week, two weeks ahead, because like, um, you know, when you when you produce a show like this, you can't just think about it um, the day of and you, you just nope. can't think about the next show because people are consuming five shows a week. You have to think about the composition of those five shows together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, of course. And so who's your favorite guest ever to be on the Raptors? <laughs> Keith Pompey, um, Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer. Okay. You know, I, I was, um, you know, I usually don't um, ask people that come in studio for like uh, photos with them. But Keith, I had to um, like, you know, we we took a photo together that, that I cherish. I look at in like my little photo frame, like I'm Wolverine <laughs> um, all the time and I'm just looking at it. Yeah. But, you know, guys like Keith, I think I find very interesting because I think um, and this is not a knock against anybody locally. Yeah. But I think like when you're in the Raptor space you're familiar with a lot of the local voices um, and not to say that they're not good, but it's like um, what our show I think is able to do, especially for the local, um, you know, basketball audience is like introduce them to people from like other markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find like people from other markets sometimes are able to speak more openly and they're also way more knowledgeable about these other teams that we always talk about. So like Keith has always been just a great personality um, and someone who speaks very smartly and critically about about the Sixers. Um, so, yeah, off the top of my head, that's what I would say. You know, I know people really like Gary Trent Sr. Like he hasn't responded to my text this year, but we're going to make that happen because anytime he's in town, he's just like want to go to the studio. And like he'll message me this at like 10 in the evening. And I'm like, right now, like, like, you know, you mean like tomorrow? Um, so like, we'll we'll figure that stuff out. So like Gary loves being on TV. So like stuff yeah people like that i think just like unique personalities that we're able to uh, put in but even like 
like I mentioned, like the Joe Cash, Joe Wolfon, like I really enjoyed them talking about basketball with Will as well. So like, mm -hmm. um, you know, that it's 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 honestly a really long list of people that I would consider like my favorites. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I won't keep you too long, but I have some kind of fun questions for you. And and the first one, and I feel like I know what the answer is, but I'm gonna still ask it. Who is your NBA player comparison, past or present? My NBA player comparison. Yes, um, I I hear you're a good defender. Yeah, yeah. So I've been compared to like kind of PJ Tucker, what he is right now. Um, is that because you have a lot of shoes? Yeah, I mean a lot of shoes. Plus, like I'm actually a sick defensive player. Like I lock in, so I will be. I will lock down like your best player. Um, and then Will can can attest to that. Um, you know, I talked about like basketball helping me to make friends growing up. Like I made the grade seven, grade eight team, you know, I played in high school as well nice. early on. And like back then I was kind of a, I still am. I'm like a Dennis Rodman type. And so in, in terms of being like a very fierce, like rebounder, I basically do all the dirty work. Okay. Um, but back then I like, I had a, I had a sick three point shot too. The, the, the thing now with me is like, I don't have a shot now. So huh. like, that's why I compare myself to Draymond a little bit too. Um, but like, <laughs> when, um, when was your fifteen sixteen season? Yeah, I, that was probably like in grade nine. Yeah, grade okay. nine, grade ten, down to like, down to like, there was one time I think we had a tournament in like King City, like super excited. You know, my parents drove out there. Um, you know, they were watching, and I hit a three to open a game, but I like held my follow through for too long because I was like feeling myself. Yeah. And like I celebrated, I want to say I like blue kisses at my parents. Like I, I was crazy back then. And then it's uh, like, and then my coach benched me for like I think either the first half or the rest of the game. Did so you kick like, someone in the nuts? No, my parents were so mad at that. And then I guess my other comp is is Kareem as well because I have this like crazy hook in the low post. Okay, I'm a lefty that people can't block. So uh, yeah, basically I've just described myself as a combination of Kareem Draymond and PJ Tucker and Dennis Rodman. That's an insane you know, player. You're 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 pretty modest. I think that's the <laughs> really getting right now from you. Alex. Yeah, yeah, real humble, real humble, real humble. Who's but currently, but currently have plantar fasciitis, self-diagnosed. So I've been off the court for. For okay. a few weeks, but like come come on November twenty fifth to TMU Sport versus Media dot com. There's I saw a, that. There's a TMU athletes versus media uh, game, so we're gonna be there raising money for MLSC Foundation. So Will and I will be there playing. Awesome. Who's the best player out of the three of you, including Blake? Will you? Mm, I think we're. I think we all um kind of suck overall, but like, I think we all have our own good qualities. I've actually never really watched Blake play that much. Um, yeah. I feel like he's just like a smart cerebral type player. Um, you know, Will, Will is, um, you know, like he's like, he's always a minus like eight, uh, when he plays in a game up to eleven because like, yeah, like he'll get shots off, but then he'll also just like not run back on defense and stuff. And then he'll also foul you all the time. Um, I'm a strong plus minus player, but it's like, you don't, I don't really fill up the stat sheet. Mm -hmm. Also like, um, stamina might be a problem. You know, I got injuries now and stuff. So um, it's hard to say. I think all three of us just suck. Okay, okay. I, I'll I'll take you just as the feisty guy. We need we need a guy who can play like Dennis Rodman, Kareem. Yeah, I'm 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 yeah. very competitive. Like okay, maybe not in all things, but like I, I feel like I take pickup basketball like very seriously. I just feel like you can't a lot of hard fouls. Go on, you can't go on the court and just half ass it. You know what I mean? Like if you're gonna play, you gotta play for real. Yeah, not like Will. Yeah, just don't be Will. That's... Will's very serious too, but he's just yeah, he tackles people. 
Okay. That's, that's a, that's FIBA style. I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. And if, if the big bald man uh, resigned tomorrow and you were the commissioner for a day, what would your first decree be, Alex? Um, I would start the uh, season on Christmas. Um, you know, I would change the regular season to 50 games. Um, I would create some kind of tournament at the end of the season for tanking teams that miss the playoffs actually have to play in a tournament to earn their draft seating. Um, and that's about it. I would go back to all 90s uniforms. Okay. Um, I would cancel the in-season tournament. Um, is that because of would, is that is that because of heat culture's uh court is yeah it, heat culture and, and i saw the bulls court it just looked like blood um and then <laughs> i would also change the first round to a best back to a best of five Ooh. um because i find the first round to be really boring um in terms of a best of seven like you rarely get like these like really thrilling upsets like there are still upsets but it's like there's nothing hey. like you know a one seed losing game one at home and suddenly they've lost home court advantage and then they're in a best of five yeah yeah raptors pacers 2016 whoa what a what a series i missed that kind oh, of man. first round yeah that and then the raptors heat like that was insane that was the worst run <laughs> to the conference finals ever yeah it. and demar got paid so we're, we're all happy but uh okay and then who is your alt i, I normally ask about canada basketball but you're i'm gonna ask you what's your all-time starting five for the raptors all time starting five for the Raptors. So, um, you know, we're gonna start Carlos Arroyo at point guard. <laughs> gonna move. Um, gonna go Mike James at 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 shooting guard. Um, Matt Thomas at small forward. <laughs> um, gonna go Jelani McCoy oh at God. power forward, and then I'm gonna go with. Um, uh, Yogi Stewart at center. So that's that, my starting five. Does that team win more than three games in an 82 game season? Um, I think it gets to 22 wins. Yeah. And then we lose the draft lottery. Okay. Okay. To, to the Celtics. Um, mm -hmm. okay. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time, Alex. This was a lot of fun. Um, just again, just going to give you the floor to, to plug your book that I have with me that people can maybe see on, uh, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, prehistoric. Um, you know, it's 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 in stores now. You know, like I mentioned, when this pod comes out, we're sorting through kind of restocking the book online. If you want to add it to your wish list for Christmas, um, you know, or just follow me on Twitter, Stephen underscore LeBron or IG Stephen LeBron. Um, you know, I'll I'll post updates. Um, and then they're available still if you look up on Indigo, um, kind of your nearest stores. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I think, like I said earlier, like, it's not just a book for like diehard Raptors fans. Like it's definitely a book for diehard Raptors fans, but it's like, if you want to learn about, if you want to learn about a piece of like Toronto history, if you want to learn about what it's like to, to start an expansion franchise in Canada, if you learn, want to learn about the personal stories of, you know, the players, um, you know, the front office, the different departments and the people around the city who like love basketball and came together to make this happen. Um, you know, I think this is a book written from like a sports slash culture perspective mm -hmm. that is uh, easy and accessible to everybody. So like, yeah, hope everybody hope everybody can get a chance to 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 check it out. Well, I, I read the book. I finished it. I absolutely loved it. I thought the uh, Isaiah Thomas and, and the ownership kind of story was really cool. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you uh, 
taking the time and everyone should should read prehistoric so thanks so much alex yeah no i appreciate it man um it was great chatting with you if you like this please like subscribe rate and review and uh yeah thanks so much for all the support